Hey there, friends. What is up? Before we get into the show, I wanted to mention that I'm going to be doing something new. I am currently sitting at 100 episodes of this podcast, and I'm going to start looking for sponsors. So instead of running some automated ad for like a cell phone company or something like that, I figured I would just reach out to you, the listener, to see if you guys would be interested in potentially sponsoring this podcast. So if you record bands and you want to get the word out, or you've got a new single from your band and you want to get the word out, hit me up and let's collaborate. Let's make this work. I'm going to keep it very affordable and this is going to be a great way to get some new fans or get a new audience could be a fun little partnership if you're interested shoot me a dm on instagram my handle is at kyle k-y-l-e underscore devlin d-e-v v as in victor l-i-n underscore underscore okay and now on to the show Hey there, friends. My name is Kyle Devlin, and this is Having a Blast. Having a Blast is a pop punk, punk rock, and emo podcast where we're going to be discussing all things punk rock ethos and personal development and the parallels within. We'll also be doing some deep dives on important albums and bands. I'm going to be talking to band members, producers, and a bunch of my friends, and I want to know what makes these people tick. How has being self-motivated moved them in the direction of their goals? We're going to have a lot of fun finding out. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hey there, friends. Welcome to the show. This is Having a Blast. I am your host, Kyle Devlin. Today, I am extremely excited to be speaking with Mr. Chris Daly, drummer of Authority Zero. This guy has been in several other legendary skate punk bands over the years. It's quite impressive. He's played with Zero Down, 10 Foot Pole, Pulley, Death by Stereo, Voodoo Glow Skulls, The Implants, and the list goes on, all before joining the Mesa, Arizona band Authority Zero. He's been with them now for eight years. They put out a fantastic record last year year titled Ali Ali Oxen Free. So if you haven't heard it, I would highly encourage you to check it out. We talk about Chris's story, what led him to wanting to tour and play in bands for a living, how he got into punk rock, his first encounter with Mr. Cameron Webb, the producer. We talk about a lot in this episode. I want to thank Chris for taking the time. He was a total sweetheart. I've always appreciated Chris's love of music on social media. It's infectious. I've really been enjoying his rundown of his favorite records in 2022. It's made me a bigger fan of some of the bands and there's been some records that I've revisited. We talk about some of them in this particular episode. So without further ado, please enjoy this multifaceted conversation with Mr. Chris Daly. out rad man how are you i'm doing good man just hanging out at the house before i go pick up my son from daycare and all the fun stuff so oh cool yeah yeah i just did that it's funny because wednesdays i normally work from home and we trade with the other house my stepdaughter i don't usually have her on wednesdays but she's got Uh a dance performance today Ah. so so my wife she goes just so you know you're picking up may at 150 i go okay (laughs) yeah that'll work It's the same thing with me. I'm saying I have two stepsons. So picking them up and their schedule is so wacky because usually it's one week, it's Wednesday through Saturday. Next week is Thursdays through Monday. You guys alternate? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what we do. We have a long weekend and then they have a long weekend and go back and forth. Yeah. People get confused yeah. all the time. I'm like, well, you once you've done it for over almost 10 years, you've pretty much, it's like science. It's easy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you being flexible with me today. Yeah, man. I've wanted to talk to you for a while. I've actually been following you now for, I think, a couple of years on social media and stuff. And I always enjoy your posts. So I'm glad we got a chance to talk today. And coming into this, I look up as much information as I can on who I'm speaking to, just so I have a general framework. And I feel like I've learned a lot through just your social media, the posts that you've been posting the last few years. Just the other day, you were posting the history, a list of some of the bands that you had played with and some of the bands I wasn't even aware of. Oh yeah. You filled in for some of my favorite bands before. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. You've been doing this for a while. Yeah. I mean, the fact that I can still say at 45, I still do this for a living is pretty awesome to say the least. I mean, I've been dreaming about doing this since I was four years old. The fact that I live that dream still, you know, I mean, I'm a realist. I know it's not going to last forever, but the fact that it's lasted this long is like, I don't take it lightly at all. Yeah. I would imagine COVID, it altered the perspective a little bit for sure. How dare I complain that my pinky hurts? (laughs) 
<laughs> how dare <Yeah>. I? <laughs> I know how you feel, man. Just going to shows. That's something that when I go now, I'm thinking, man, this is such a life-giving thing. And it didn't happen for so long. I didn't go to a show for an entire year. Yeah. And Descendants was the first band back after COVID that I had seen. And they came to Lawrence, which is where I'm at currently, Lawrence, Kansas. Oh, yeah. And my second show with Authority Zero was there at the Granada. My second show with Authority Zero was opening up for Lesson Jake and Rubble Fish. Oh, cool. Red. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I'm surprised I wasn't there. I might have been at <laughs> yeah. town or something. January of 2015. Oh, okay. Cool. That's really cool. Yeah, it was there actually. I don't know. It's funny you mentioned Less Than Jake because the last time I saw Descendants in Kansas City, Less Than Jake opened for them there. That's rad. (laughs) That's a hell of a show. (laughs) It was. It was rad. It was awesome. I forget who opened that night, but it might have been Bad Cop, Bad Cop, but it was a killer show. Less Than Jake's one of my favorite live bands. I tend to go see them every time they come to town. They're just so much fun. So that's a cool lineup. Yeah, for sure. Authority Zero and then less than Jake. So that was your second show. And you just celebrated the eighth anniversary in Authority Zero? Yeah. And that, the call I got to joint to fill in was for that tour. And so Red. they've been trying to get me to fill in forever. Uh, okay. But I was busy with other things because basically when my last tour with Voodoo Glow Skulls, we were touring with Authority Zero for seven, I think it was seven week US tour. It was a long tour. Cool. And their drummer, the original drummer from Authority Zero, Jenna quit the band. And they didn't have a drummer and they asked me to do it for the tour. And I said, yes, initially, but the guys in Voodoo thought I wouldn't be able to handle double duty, which please, I could have easily done it. Yeah. <laughs> if I could do double duty with pulling and implants, then Voodoo Glow Skulls and Authorities would have been a cakewalk. <laughs> so, but it didn't happen. But they were, uh, when they got Sellers in the band, I knew it was only a matter of time because I, Sellers, I love Sellers, is a good friend of mine. And I knew, I just know that Sellers, um, when they, when he joined Authority, Good Riddance had just reunited too. So I'm like, okay, I don't see you being in Authority Zero too long. <laughs> so, I didn't realize that Sean was playing in Authority Zero as well. So he was yeah, filling he, in and then Good Riddance got back together. He was actually in the band. He played on the tipping point. Oh, okay, cool. I didn't and know that. So Yeah. So it's kind of funny how it worked out when I, I was filling it for him. He filled it for me with Pulley. And mm-hmm. now it's completely, now he's in Pulley and I'm in Authority Zero. Yeah, I was going to say the roles reversed. I saw well, that he played on Golden Life, right? Right. Yes. Very cool. Yeah. 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 You're a great drummer. He's a great drummer. It makes sense. Been listening to Good Riddance now, I think for over 25 years, which is kind of crazy to say. I still get the goosebumps whenever I put on Comprehensive Guide to Modern Rebellion. I think that's one of the most epic albums I've ever heard in my life. It was a game changer for sure. When I first heard it, it definitely changed things for me. That was the first time too. I got to give Sean Sillers credit because on some of those songs, some of the halftime beats, like I grew up on the double time. I love skate punk. That's what I listen to most of the time. Yeah. But that was the first time I had heard elements of that halftime hardcore beat in yeah. skate punk. And I don't know. I feel like Sean doesn't get enough credit for that. He's a really great drummer. I love, I mean, I could just, I could just sit there and just watch him play. He's one of those drummers that I just, I will just sit there and I'm, I'll usually watch a whole band, but I'm watching him. Like watching a Wilhelm scream. I'm like tapering off between Brian, the bassist, and then Nick, the drummer, because they're both just like, like, what the virtuosos it's been fun watching your countdown of your favorite records of the year so far yeah i mean it was was, uh, i was telling people that you know usually the last like five seven six seven years it's it's, had trouble finding a top five but this year there was like a good 30 records that i was looking forward to that came out and then narrowing it down to the top 20 i mean i'm i think people are gonna be a lot really shocked when they find out what my number one is because i'm at three right now but i'll just tell you this much i'm not the biggest hardcore guy but mm-hmm. this man released the record of the year by far for me. So then here's your hands. Okay, <laughs> cool. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of good hardcore records that came out this year. The last couple of years, it's been crazy. Do you think that has something to do with COVID? Do you think people were hunkered down and... Yeah, I mean, if? that's what happened with, with Authority, with Ollie Ollie. I mean, we had nothing to do but write stuff. I mean, we 2020 initially was going to be a really busy year of touring for us. We had initially, by the time that we got the lockdown happened we were already had pretty much had committed to five and a half months of touring at that point wow the fact that we went from all that to nothing and i think it basically it i think it probably put a lot of things in perspective for bands either you, you found out who the strong survivors were and who was not because a lot of bands did break up over the time too true so you know you you figured out okay who's in this for long haul and you know what how much does this really mean to you and i mean you had so many great albums that came out this year, Flatliners, Body Jar, so many fucking kick-ass albums that came out this year, Pulley, Temple wow. Pole, Craig's Brother, all these bands, like, just came back with albums that, the band No Trigger, who I just 
finally became kind of familiar with in Europe. We were playing shows with them and they released a killer record this year, the Doctor album, which is yeah. pop punk. In, me, in my mind, I don't mind if you do pop punk, but it has to have an attitude. And I think that album has all the attitude with it. It does. They yeah. straddle that line and it's intense and it's fast too. You can tell a lot of those people in the band, they grew up on fat records. I know Jono, the drummer. He is a badass. I mean, I, I know he was on the Swellers, but I think, you know, on this album, he really got to do a lot of things that he's probably never done before. And he's just such a killer guy too. I mean, we, him and I rode down that punk rock holiday. Oh, cool. And so he's, yeah, total sweetheart. The whole band is a bunch of sweethearts. They're awesome guys. That's cool. Yeah. I don't know any of the other dudes, but yeah, he's great. He was actually one of the first people I interviewed on the podcast a couple of years ago. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. He's rad. He's friends with a bunch of mutual friends that I have here in Lawrence and Kansas city too. I think just from touring and stuff and being in the swellers. And then he was on tour with a couple other bands. He played with the early November and stuff. So he's kind of been oh, around yeah. and he makes the rounds and stuff, but yeah, really cool dude. Really down to earth. Wilhelm put out just an incredible record this year. That might be one of my favorite records this year. It came out of nowhere too. I wasn't expecting yeah. it. Yeah. Nine years. I mean, and the fact, I mean, you know, that, that opening of a, a Cushionette Avenue is, is like that whole epic intro guitar thing. It's like, when's this going to kick in? When it does, boom, it just punches you right down the throat. And yeah. Then, Balls to the wall until the end. <laughs> absolutely. And well, I mean, you know, by the time we get done with this podcast, I mean, I'll be already, my top 20 will be done. So I could just tell you, I mean, but the album for me, it came out in January and I still have to listen to it at least two, three times a week as a comeback kid. Oh, red. Yeah. They put that out album, record. That album is so intense. And then on top of that, we did Brack Rock and Punk Rock Holiday, just as in crazy, amazing live as they were on the record. And then to meet them afterwards, fucking the raddest guys ever. I mean, cool. so I knew, because it came out at the end of January, Heavy Steps. And yeah. I knew by the second song, I'm like, this is already my album of the year. I already knew it. <laughs> just because everything about it is like the drumming is so fucking amazing. The riffs are awesome. And then the, the singing, I mean, that's the most scowling, but also he knows how to sing it, scream it in harmony too, where it actually works out well. Yeah. And so that, that band just, they delivered with that record. I mean, it's, it, I've always liked Comeback Kid, but I could say that 2022 is the year I've actually fell in love with the band. That's cool, man. Yeah, yeah. Great band. I totally forgot about that record too. I need to revisit it. I remember hearing some of the songs, the singles that they released at the end of last year. So maybe yeah. I was thinking it came out last year. They've been doing it for a long time too. Come back. Long in. time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the fact that they came out with this record, I remember it was a crazy night at Punk Rock Holiday because, you know, Punk Rock Holiday spans over five days. Mm -hmm. Our day was, it was no trigger, get dead, us, comeback kid, no fun at all. Oh, and wow. I remember watching Comeback Kid after our set and Sam, the singer from uh, Get Dead, I think we're like halfway watching him. He goes, I fucking quit. Because <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember like saying to the guys, I'm like, I'm so glad we didn't go on after them. Because that would be a hard band to follow. I'm confident in everything that Authority Zero does. I think we put on a great live show. But that band is just so intense. And you're just like sitting there going, you're, you're doing this. Yeah. And then rocking out. I mean, so that band was, so my top two come back in Hot Water Music. Oh, rad. Yeah. Great record. Love Hot Water. Love yeah, the addition. It's Chris from Flatliners, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's Chris, but also the other Chris who is not touring with the band anymore. He does still have the record. Oh, cool. Yes. I mean, he's not that, touring with them anymore. He doesn't tour with them anymore. Oh, bummer. Okay. But that's why Cresswell joined the band because he does his songs live. Oh, right. okay. Cool. I'm thankful that I've seen them so many times live with Chris. Yeah. I'm just appreciative of that. One thing that I've always appreciated about you is you're clearly an avid lover of music. Sometimes I think musicians, they get jaded and cynical. And I almost had to separate myself. I used to play in bands and stuff. And then for a long time, I wasn't playing in bands. I was just playing for fun. And yeah. it's almost as if I fell in love with music again after I got away from being in bands for a little bit, because I just connected to the music differently. I started listening to different genres and things. And yeah. I still... Like I said before, I tend to go back to my skate punk roots. I think that's probably what I listen to the most of the time. But I appreciate the fact that you love music. Has that always been the case? Did you grow up with music in the background? You do these highlights of some of the classic rock albums too. Very much so. My mom and dad are huge. My dad's a bass player. He played in bands all his life and all that stuff. I mean, he's actually the one who got me into punk rock with the Dickies and all that stuff. And my mom was huge. I mean, there was always music in my house. I mean, and my dad was a huge progressive rock guy. So, I mean, I would hear King Crimson one day. The next day would be Pat Benatar from my mom. The next day would be Heart from them and all stuff. So, I mean, it was like hearing all these like different things. And then I got into metal 
as a kid, clearly Iron Maiden, mm-hmm. and metal is like my thing. I mean, I was so unpopular in my neighborhood because I was all about Iron Maiden and Kiss, and Iron Maiden and Kiss in, in the early '80s was not the coolest thing to do. Really? Um, yeah, definitely not. I mean, more so Kiss than Iron Maiden, but you know, if it's it, kind it, of like was, punk rock in the '90s, you know, it wasn't very cool, and then all of a sudden it was. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, I, the first. The first song I really identified with punk rock was my dad took me to, I was nine, he couldn't find a babysitter. And he took me to this place called Fenner's Ballroom. It's no longer around in LA. And it was Descendants on their final tour in May of 1987. And they opened up with Coolidge. And I heard the words, and I'm like, going, that's totally me. Like, I'm not a cool guy anymore as if I ever was before. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, as I, ta- I told Carl that, we play with him a few times and I just said, dude, you changed my life with that song. Cause he wrote the song I'm like that changed my life completely. And I, I mean, it was a perfect time to change too. Cause I mean, metal was getting kind of stupid by 87. It was turning into the whole glam thing. And yeah. Made it by that time started having keyboards. I'm like, okay, this is getting weird. So <laughs> I mean, rock. And so, but the thing was, I never, ever, I was never that guy like where I was too cool to like, listen to other things besides punk rock. I mean, I know a lot of friends of mine that, especially in the early 90s, they were trying to show how punk rock they were. We only listen to punk rock. Well, then you're kind of close-minded. <laughs> so yeah. I would um, put on a Black Sabbath record or putting on Stone Temple Pilots. You know, their first two records are fantastic. So it's like, I I was never ashamed of, the, of whatever I, if it's good music, it's good music. Yeah, I love those first two Stone Temple Pilots records. Yeah, I was listening to Allison Chain's Dirt. That was one of the first grunge records that I really connected to. Love that record. Yeah, Jerry Cantrell. I started playing guitar when I was eight, which was 1992, right when that record came out. And it was all over the radio. And of course, I'm playing Nirvana riffs too. But I think you're right. There was an interesting time period there from 87 to maybe 94. Yeah. where you had that underground punk scene really burgeoning and really manifesting something really cool. And Fat Records was bubbling under the surface and Epitaph and everything and with Bad Religion and Dag Nasty and Descendants and stuff. So that's cool. I love the fact that you connected to Coolidge right away because I think yeah. I did too when I first heard those words. It's like you connect to something there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the weird thing about that is as a guy who was around the scene and watching, I mean, like I graduated in 95. So... You know, punk rock, I mean, I saw it getting bigger, especially when I got into high school, but it still was very underground. I mean, I got made fun of all the time for having a bad religion shirt. And then all of a sudden, so funny, I mean, when Green Day and Osprey exploded, that was the summer before my senior year. Yeah. So I went to this thing, and I mean, I'm not sure if you ever heard of it. It was in uh, August of 1994 at the Hollywood Palladium. It was three nights. It was called the Epitaph Summer Nationals. It was six bucks for all three nights. Every band that was on Epitaph at the time was playing that night. So it was No Effects, RKL, Temple Pole. No effects, bad religion, Pennywise, Rancid, all those bands over three days, six bucks for the whole thing. Wow. And I remember going back to school that year in my senior year, and like everybody was like, the guys that made fun of me for being in punk rock asked me to start a band with them. I was like, fuck uh, you. <laughs> it's just for, popular. You're just tormenting me for years for listening to punk rock. Yeah. And also, I mean, I think still Dookie's one of the best albums ever made. And I mean, I'll, I mean, people was too punk for that. I'm like, nope. I don't care if it's too punk or not. I think that's a, I think it's a great record. Yeah. You listen to Kerplunk and then you listen to Dookie. It's not too terribly different. They didn't really uh, change their sound a whole lot. They certainly elevated their sound. Better um, production. Yeah. Yeah. The production for yeah, the time was incredible. That was the record for me that opened the floodgates. I think I saw the Basket Case video on 120 Minutes. That was the first time I heard palm muted guitar chords. And I thought to myself, oh, that's doable. I could write a song like that. You know, it just felt accessible. Found Bad Religion right after that, No Effects and all those bands. And then yeah. you kind of, you dive into the comps and everything. So your buddies after that show, the three nights, you started playing in bands around that time. Is that when you really started yeah. playing drums in bands? Had you already started playing drums before that? I started playing drums when I was four. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so you've been playing I, for a while uh, at that point. Yeah. I, I mean, my favorite all-time drummer is Keith Moon from The Who. I saw a video of him when I was like seven. And he was just, he was, he's animal from the Muppets. That's what he was. He never had hi-hats. He played like this on the cymbals like crazy. I'm like, I want to. <laughs> and so I started being in bands around my I think it was between my freshman and sophomore year with a couple guys. We were called Six Penny, and we basically just did half covers and half originals. And our originals were horrible. <laughs> what <laughs> kind of music? That, we found it funny that we were spelling out cafe with a coat with the chords C A F E. My like, oh god, we're so stupid. Nice. <laughs> but <laughs> funny because like the bar and I are like we're golf buddies now. We've been friends all these years. So um, cool. 
but it's, like, it's kind of cool. It's something I, I did that for a long time and just little baby steps. I had goals. Okay. I want to play the whiskey go, go. That's the goal. And so I would finally did that my senior year in high school and just goals. I mean, a lot of it had to be the right place at the right time too. You know? Yeah. So that's how, I, I mean, that's how it happened. You're born and raised in LA. Yeah. I was born in San Gabriel Valley, which is about 30 miles east of LA. Yeah. Okay. I've spent a lot of time in California. My first band game time, we toured the coast. We were dumb, but that was our goal then to just get out to the West coast. And we just go up and down. We play house shows, we play VFWs, you know, parties. I remember we played the skating rink a lot in Whittier, California called Skateland. Yeah. Yeah. That was a fun time. I enjoy California. I miss it. So that's cool. So (laughs) what, what year did you play the whiskey to go go for the first time? Do you remember? 94. Okay. 94. Okay. 94. Right. Yeah. So you were young. That was, that was a pay to play. I mean, you paid, you sold tickets. You bought, that was a pay to play thing. And I mean, I, at that point I didn't care. I'm like, is this going to get me in the whiskey? That's all I care about. Yeah. And it was yeah. cool. I think that was a thing primarily then too. It didn't really start happening in the Midwest until I think a few years of me being in a band, but that wasn't really a thing when we started out. So we kind of lucked out and getting shows. We didn't have to sell a bunch of tickets. Yeah. I think that's commonplace now. I mean, if you're willing to hustle, if you're willing to sell some tickets to your buddies, I mean, that's kind of the whole goal, right? You're trying to play for your friends. Absolutely. And you're like trying to also just like try to get your name out there. Okay, let's just get out there and maybe like, because you always heard like the people stories, people getting signed of the whiskey go or the, on the Sunset Strip. And of course, that never happened for, for us. But, you know, it's like, okay, well, I played on this is the same stage where the Doors played, where all these other bands played. It's like, I mean, not necessarily bands I love, but the fact it's like these guys made that venue famous. Iconic, awesome. right? Yeah, very iconic. Yeah, absolutely. So when did you start touring? You probably started touring, I would imagine, after high school? After high school, yeah. I mean, my first weekends at first, and my first real tour was in, I think I was 20, I was 20. And it was like, basically just like, it was a 10-day tour of going up the coast into Reno, Salt Lake, where I have a lot of my, my dad's side of the family, they all live there. So it's cool going out there, not for a family arena, but actually play a show and all that stuff. So you know, playing around that area and then, you know, hitting Texas. And that was like my first run. But, you know, I mean, it was guy. I mean, I look back now, it's like, it was such a different time uh, touring. You know, you had that, you had your Allen maps and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. you didn't have, have your, your phones to be luxury, you know, luxurious with. <laughs> so, yeah. Crazy to see how we've come technology wise. So like, okay, now it's just easy. Just address, boom, go. For sure. Yeah. No, I was having a conversation with our old bass player the other day. And I literally still have, it's on my bookshelf over here. I have the old map that we use, the physical map. Oh, yeah. We chart our, all of our courses and things. Our trick was we would get to the town because we were touring pretty heavily in 2002, 2003. So MapQuest had just been invented, but it wasn't very good. It wasn't very reliable. So we would get to the town and we would hopefully get close to downtown. And then we'd go to a gas station and just ask them if they knew where the venue was. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's (laughs) it. I mean, that was the best thing to do. Because I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, MapQuest, even like the maps that they had back then, it was, I mean, constantly streets are getting updated and all that stuff. And so you are never guaranteed to find where you're going to be. Yeah, especially in California. I feel like we would get stuck in these peninsulas where we couldn't get out (laughs) and it was just a dead end or something. And then we think, okay, well, we're going to have to just completely go back to where we came from and just loop around and try to figure out where we're going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Bands have it way easier now. It's crazy. Way easier. You started touring when you were 20. So it was late nineties. What was the first band that really felt like, okay, this is the band with label backing. We're touring consistently, maybe a few months out of the year, maybe even longer than that. What was the first band that you played in? Was it 10 foot pole? No, no. Uh, well, you know, the band I actually thought that we were gonna about to break through was this band called Lightweight. We were basically, we were playing all these shows. We started getting recognized from Bob Becker, who owned Fearless Records. He loved us, but he was he was. I want you guys to tour because he had signed a string of bands that were really good bands, but they would record a record and go on tour and they break up after that tour because they'd never toured before. Yeah. So like bands public or blunt a lot of those bands that were on like the fearless flush sampler and all this, those bands like glue gun they were all good bands but once they went on tour they broke up after that tour yeah so he wanted to make sure because i think the only band he actually had signed that was still going and keep on kept on going was bigwig yeah so we were doing that and then we, i mean we were playing so we started getting out of shows we actually did a show with pulley and that was when jim cherry i guess he just got fired from strung out and he we were playing this place called chamber national anaheim yeah his wife saw me play and I guess ran back to the stage and got him. And I was actually the first drummer for Zero Down. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. So That's I, I I did five practices. But I mean, Jim Trey was such an intimidating person, to, especially to a guy who was, you know, not even 21 yet. 
at the time. So, I mean, I was just by his size and also he was, you know, he had a very demanding uh, way of creating, which I understand. Looking back now, I know, but as a 20 year old kid, I didn't get it. But the songs that we did write when I was in the band was uh, Down This Road, which is on a, it was on a Fat Records comp and then also Long Promise Road, which is on the record. Him and I remained friends until the day he passed. I mean, I I recorded six songs with him. I had written six songs that were I, I wanted his help with. And I went over to his house and I played on electronic drums. I played rhythm guitar and sang really horribly. <laughs> and played bass and lead guitar. Two of those songs ended up on the play record I did. Oh, cool. Uh, no Change in the Weather, which was Walk Away and Syndrome were two songs that I had written with Jim. And Scott says, this is kind of like cool going back full circle with Pulley. I had no idea. I love those two songs. I and love that well, record. Also how he got, he, even though like I never did anything with Zero Down, he's the one who got me to try out for Temple Pole. He actually worked it out so I could try out for the Aquabats, which was an interesting tryout. <laughs> was that after Travis? Yeah, I was, was a drummer after Travis and I was trying out for it. And the guy that's been with them since, Ricky, who was um, a sort of jelly beans, he got the oh, gig. Okay, cool. Yeah, so, dude, it's crazy I, I, how it's all connected here. You know, I remember yeah. listening to Assorted Jelly Beans and all the Kung Fu comps and everything. I loved oh, them. Yeah. We loved them. They were a great, fun band. We saw them play a couple times. I love. That's that crazy, band. man. I had yeah. no idea. Yeah, I remember Zero Down. I remember hearing that song on the Fat Comp and loving it, and knowing that it was the bass player from Strung Out, which I was a huge fan of. I mean, still am. Still am a yeah. massive. And I loved the record. I was just listening to it the other day. That Zero Down record. Last time to pay is fantastic. I, I it's it's a shame that I didn't really got them because I think you know I think he. I think he wasn't even out of the year when he passed away. Wow. So that 2001 um, or 2002? Yeah. He, he passed away in 2002. And then I think the record was in 2001. Okay. Yeah. And I think that comp came out in 2000, end of 2000. I remember him calling me and I talked to him. And I guess, he, you know, he was like almost crying because it was right before he passed away. American Paradox had just come out and he swore up and down that Kill Your Scene was about him. Uh, he was bummed. Because I mean, you know, they, there's a bad falling out that they had. That's what I've heard. I've heard Fat Mike talk about it. Yeah, it was, a, it was a huge bad falling out. I mean, I know being friends with Rob, especially now and all stuff, I know that they, he goes, you know, who knows what would happen in the future if he would have been still living. But at that point, we were just, you know, I think they were tired of, I don't know. I think there was, a, there was too much power play going on in that band. <laughs> yeah. They were young too. I mean, they were probably in their early 20s. Easily. It's, it's difficult, you know, being in a band, it's like being in a marriage with five other people or four other people, you know, you including your crew. On the one on tour. Yeah. I mean, you were just talking out. about bands breaking up on the road. That's kind of where the rubber meets the road. <laughs> you're, you're living with people. And it's like, it's, it's like you find these roommates and you find it's like kind of like a four or five way marriage. And it's like, sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. You find out who people really are on the road when they're not sleeping that well, or, you know, ha- they've had too many drinks or they do a line of something. And it's like, okay, whoa, this is not a side of you I've ever seen. So it happens. I mean, so, but, yeah, I digress. But by going back, that's how I got the Temple Pool. It was through Jim Cherry. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. The good news with Jim Cherry, and this is kind of the last button on the point, is we have his music and his influence to look back on, which I'm really thankful. I almost associate him with Suburban Teenage Wasteland Blues when I listen to that first song, the amazing bass intro. I mean, what yep. a ripper on the bass. And I think his influence, you could tell when he was gone too, which I still love the band, but... You know, yeah. sometimes the dynamics of bands change a little bit when you shift members. And, totally. and I think yeah. that's the thing. I, the cool thing is, I mean, I'm still, I still talk to Wendy, his widow a lot, you know, where she had a anniversary for his passing earlier and we, you know, just hung out and just talked and just, you know, just kind of reminisced. And, you know, yeah. she was always supportive of mine too. So, I mean, it was, it's, I've maintained close contact with her. So, I mean, you know, Jim was on through her, of course. Yeah. Hard to believe it's been 20 years since 2002. Right. It's been crazy. Yeah. I mean, so I still remember getting the phone call from her that night. It was oh, insane. Man. I'll bet that was rough. Yeah. It's not fun most, losing friends too early, most, especially. Probably the most punk rock funeral I ever went to in my life. You walk, you, you, rarely do you walk into a church and hear Bad Religion playing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was amazing. And, you know, Fat Mike gave a really moving eulogy. All the guys that strung out were there. We all <clears throat> afterwards went to the carpet coop where his dad owned a you know, his father did carpeting for a living and that's where strung out practiced for the oh. first, basically the whole wall. We all signed the wall. Jason, I guess, before we even got there, Jason had signed, he written out the lyrics to satellite, the chorus someday. I'll thank you. If I see you around. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. really a 
or moving things. I mean, you know, cause it, it was weird. Cause like the funeral was the same day as the Ventura Warped Tour. So all the bands that were on Warped Tour, like no use for name and all them, everybody was there. That place, that church was packed. It was a punk rock funeral to its core. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The timing of it, everybody being the same place. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's cool that everybody was there to honor him and everything. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. And then you started playing in 10 foot pole. Was that around the same time you said 2002, 2003? 2003. Okay, cool. Yeah. So they had just done subliminal messages and their drummer, I guess, was just over touring and wanted to become a teacher because I guess that's what he did before. And I guess he just wanted to go back to that. So he just kind of up and left. I joined the band though. Dennis had kind of winded down touring. Dennis was now doing sound. He actually had just become the sound guy for Prince. Oh, wow. And Prince, especially, I guess, at that time, if you worked for Prince, especially as a sound guy, you were on call 24 hours a day. He would call him, Prince's assistant would call him at three in the morning. Hey, Prince is having a party. Come over here and do sound. <laughs> wow. Okay. You could really go tour. So I was in that band for basically the better part of 10 years. And I think, I think we did 50, 55 shows total. Because wow. he was, think about, it, I mean, he, he became, he got known in sound and he, he just did a uh, hundred days sound with Weird Al Yankovic. He's that guy now. Yeah. He yeah. I follow him on social media as well. It's kind of crazy. He knows a lot of people that I know who are doing the touring rounds and stuff and do tour managing and monitors and drum teching for people. Yeah. They've all run into Dennis and they say he's a really, really nice guy. Sweetheart, total sweetheart. And then like, and the, the thing was, I mean, he, that with, cause he has that sound thing in the background he is very meticulous. He wants the band to sound, even if it's a dingy bar, you're gonna, we're going to do a soundtrack until it sounds right. Cool. And he has that perspective of being in a band too. He knows what he wants it to sound like. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So, 50 shows in 10 years. Yeah. I know that was a band. I saw them back in the late nineties, I think on one of the Epitaph tours. I saw them a couple of times on Warp Tour, but they definitely did slow down. You guys slowed down touring quite a bit. I can imagine. And yeah. I mean, there was a lot of fat rec bands that slowed down around that time. I remember... <laughs> There was a period of time where, like, I don't only see him on Warp Tour. Yeah, 2004, 2005, especially, you know, 2006, all those years. I mean, that was, punk was dead. I wasn't dead. I just went back more underground. I mean, bands at that point, big word. If you look back around that time, like AFI, Atreyu, Avenged Sevenfold, those were the bands that were blowing up, Kill Switch Engage, those bands that had more of the metal core kind of thing, where punk kind of went back underground a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, so i think dennis saw that basically just like he especially in america i mean canada we would still draw huge japan was huge europe always you know the same but america america's fickle <laughs> it is yeah america is fickle for sure yeah. and our attention spans are so short <laughs> collectively <Not>. anyways <laughs> but yeah warp tour scene i think it definitely took over the mid-2000s then you've had this resurgence of pop punk but it was really leaning on the pop side so you didn't have as many bands that were fast which it's funny because I feel like in the last maybe six or seven years, there's been a bit of a resurgence with that. I think I all agree. the people that grew up on Epitaph and Fat Records, they want to hear that. You know, I think yeah. the first band that really, I think you probably know these dudes, but the first band that really put out a record that I, it was like the first time I had heard the double time beat in a while was that much the same record. Everything is fine. Oh, I love that record. We played with them back in the day and that record came out. And I just feel like there's just been a string of really great bands and releases coming out since. Yeah. I agree. The much same as a band, I think that doesn't get enough credit. And I, I wish they would because, I mean, I think they kind of like brought the whole resurgence back with them. And I think it basically, it had it came back with a renewed interest in the in the scene. Yeah. We were just talking about the Swellers. Nick, I mean, he did the record and it sounds great. And he's done a lot of really cool records in that vein. So yeah. when did you start playing for Pulley? Because you were playing with Tim Foot Pole. Was there some overlap there? Were you playing with both bands? A very short overlap. I, cause I, after when I realized that Temple Polks, I mean, like I said, I'm, there's bands that there's guys that do this as a part-time thing and I'm a lifer. I mean, I have no choice, but that. So when I realized that Temple Pole wasn't really going to be doing much, I, that's when I joined, I joined Death by Stereo for a couple of years. I was in Buda Gold Schools for a couple of years and I was still doing Temple Pole shows in the interim, but not much. We would do a show here, a four shows here. And then I had already started when I left Voodoo, I had already started implants and Implants was a part-time band too, but Implants also had Jim Blowers, who was in Bully. Mm -hmm. So when 2013 came around, Jim asked, said, are you down to do some? I, I was initially just asked to do some shows with Bully. I was not going to be joining the band. So yeah. And so I knew that I knew the material as a fan. So I 
joined them in November of 2013. Like I said, Temple Pole, I think we did between the time I quit. Just because like when, uh, how, why, why I left the band was basically they, Implants was doing a, a European tour in 2014. And that was a month long. And then two days later was starting at Temple Pole in Europe for another month. And I had just gotten engaged and all that stuff. And it's like, you know, I don't mind touring all this stuff, but two months in Europe is a lot. Yeah. Especially at that time. And so I just said, I can't do this tour. And so they had to fill in for me. And so it worked out well with him. And I was just too concentrating on pulling in implants at the time. So they just kept with him. And I said, you know, what? I, I want you guys to just kick off with this guy, which that didn't last long. I think he was in the band for like another four months and then he quit too. Uh, um, but I just, you know, it, it was a weird overlap. And of course, you know, I was like, how's this going to work? Because I know Scott and Dennis don't really talk. I don't know what their relationship is like today, but I know they, at least at that point, they didn't talk. So it was an interesting thing, but I mean, thank God, no, uh, <laughs> nobody has a rivalry over anything. Well, well, at least not to my face. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've done a good job of maintaining a lot of relationships. I mean, it sounds like, you know, a lot of people and yeah. you've played in a lot of bands and it's cool that you're able to do that and navigate that. It's not like you're leaving a trail of fire behind you. I would imagine there's been times where you maybe had to have hard conversations, difficult conversations with band members and things like that. But it seems like you're cool with a lot of these bands that you've played with in the past. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for the most part, yeah. I mean, like I said, there was the stuff I did in my death by stereo days. And sometimes in the video glow schools days where I was down, I was not happy where I was and I started drinking a lot. And when you drink a lot and you, sort of changes your behavior and you start saying things that you shouldn't be saying and the guys are starting to i mean they're trying to cover up for you but you know you keep on yapping your mouth and you and that's what i was doing and unfortunately i've been this, there <laughs> fortunately to this day i mean there's i mean i don't mean the, the best guys don't talk um okay. i mean I'm, I'm cool with the funny thing is the guy that replaced me mike him and i talk and mike you know we're cool we're to each other but yeah as far as that goes and same with voodoo because i mean it's kind of funny because ephraim is now in voodoo but I mean, like Frank and I, the singer of Voodoo and the trauma player Brody, we're like, we all talking all the time and, you know, we're all cool with each other. But those two bands, I just, I was in a bad way. And I think just, you know, being depressed and, you know, not being happy with the situation I was in, I think I just, you know, it just, it fractured some relationships that are just beyond the point of repair, I think. Mm-hmm. And I understand that at the back of it now. I mean, I mean, am I straight edge now? No, I still drink, but I, I know what not to do now. Sure. <laughs> It depends on the circumstance and the place you are in your life. I think if you're in a better place, then drinking can sometimes enhance it. You yeah. know, you're out with your buds, you're at a show. That's when you've decided that you're going to have healthy parameters with it. But I think sometimes when you're depressed and you're drinking, it almost ends up being like a coping mechanism. And yeah. that's when it can sort of devolve. Like you said, yeah. like you can get into a bad situation exactly. or in kind of a bad headspace with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's the thing too, is, I mean, I, the, I mean, people like say, do you wish you would have left? And I said, honestly, I don't know if, where I'd be right now if I left earlier. I mean, I think honestly, all those things, I, I don't regret anything that happened. I mean, I, there's stuff I, mean, I learned from, don't do this, don't do that. But I think it led to who I am today and where I am today. So yeah. I had all about what happened at the time. I mean, yeah, it sucks what happened. They were like learning lessons. So. Yeah. And sometimes you got to go through a few life learning lessons to end up where you are and then you're grateful for it. And like yeah. I said, that post you made earlier, it sounded like, I mean, you were expressing gratitude when you were talking about some of the experiences that you've had and everything that's led you up to here and where you're at now. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, if you can't look back and like use your kind of like to how they say, if you can't take constructive criticism, you shouldn't be in this business at all. Yeah. And if you can't learn lessons from your past that should help you grow, then you shouldn't be doing this either. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you have to like look back and like just kind of reflect, okay, what led me to being here right now? And what led me to, why did I have a fight with this guy? Why did we, why did this guy have a problem with me? And it's, it's like, you look back and say, Oh, okay. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's a lot of learning points for sure. Yeah. And there's a sense of humility there too, because sometimes people don't even reflect they don't even look inward and say, yeah. how did I contribute to this? <laughs> yeah. And I'm not saying tell people to go backwards, you know, move forward. But also if, if there's one thing I've learned definitely is if it's more I'm in touch with my past, the more I know where I'm going in the future. Yeah. Yeah. You've learned from mistakes and things like that. Yes. You're course correcting along the way. I think that's good. I think that's what yeah. we're meant to do. Right. Especially as adults, you know, cause then you're a dad, you got kiddos. So I'm sure this is wisdom that you can impart onto them as well. Absolutely. I mean, the funny thing is that my, my two stepsons are 14 and 12 and right now they're high school, junior high. And the one thing I told him, I said, dude, I said, you know, my mom, my, you know, my mom was like my biggest supporter. And like, she always like said, if people call you weird, say thank you. 
You know, that means that means you're unique. And mm-hmm. I always, I, I told the guys, I said, yeah, they see how it is with like, they kind of my shows to see how big punk rock is. I said, I was hated for listening to this kind of music as a kid. I said, you have just, you guys have no idea what I went through. I always like to say, uh, don't change who you are to fit in. Cause honestly, by the time you're out of high school, it's over. Who cares? Yeah. yeah. It's like, you're trying to fit into a click. And honestly, what happens after high school? I mean, I have about maybe five or six people I, I know from high school I talked to. Yeah. yeah, there's a quick end game there, right? Yeah. Definitely not a long shelf life with high school. Yeah. It feels so big when you're in it. <laughs> you do. It's weird because, I mean, it's like when you see how you are. And I mean, I, I, it's funny, like going to high school football games and then watching these clicks now. My stepson's playing football and I'm like watching him one. Wow. this It's also changed a lot, but it's also still very much the same. But it's like also where everybody's hanging out on clicks, everybody's now hanging out with clicks and on their phones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, it's, it's just technology's taking them. <laughs> yeah, of course, man. Yeah, the clicks are on the phone now. Yep. <laughs> well, Authority Zero, you've been here for eight years now. What's crazy, the ignorance on my part, when I first started talking to you on social media, on Facebook, I asked if you had played in the band back in 2002. And very obviously you hadn't, but I didn't realize that. But my band, we were fortunate enough to play Warp Tour in 2003 and we were on the same stage as Authority Zero. Oh, cool. And they played like maybe three or four dates. It was really quick. Yeah. And we were on it for three weeks, I think. It was the radioactive stage. It was a little side stage, but they were still blowing up at that time. They were big in the underground. And I think the following year is when Mexican radio really... I heard it all over the radio and stuff, but really cool dudes. I remember meeting them back then. I remember meeting Jason. I love his voice. Very distinct, unique voice. Authority Zero, killer band. I'm thankful that you guys have continued making records. There's seven studio records at this point for Authority Zero, right? Yep. Four, five, eight. Eight. Okay. So eight with Ali Ali, Oxen Free. Okay. Right. And again, that was one of my favorite records last year. I listened to it a ton. Initially, I thought we were just getting an EP and then all of a sudden we have the full length. And so that was yeah. rad. Thank you for doing that. Our manager thought it'd be cool to kind of like, because like I said, it was still a pandemic going on. And so yeah. he, he kind of equated what we were doing as to a waterfall effect. We released Ollie Ollie, the single. We released Fire Off another single. We released a five song EP. Then we released the full length. It was like kind of like just giving you glimpses until the record came out. Yeah, I think it works really well. I actually like that approach. I like listening. What it does is it allows me to digest the music a little bit more. Because I used to just sit with a record in my car after purchasing it. I'd be looking through the liner notes. And now with streaming, I can hear a lot more music, but it's a little bit more superficial. I don't go as deep. So it's nice when bands, you mentioned earlier, Craig's brother, they were releasing a bunch of singles this year. And I felt like I could actually just digest their songs, which was the same with Authority Zero last year. When I heard that that single, I was just like, holy shit, this song is incredible. (laughs) I love that opening track. Well, that was the cool thing about that song was, I mean, that was the last song we wrote for the, I mean, we were done with pre-production. And then I basically told Mike, when we recorded that record, it was just us three. Mike did guitar and bass and Jason and me, myself, we didn't have a guitar player. And so when we did, when we finished pre-production in Arizona, I told Mike, I said, I've had this drum beat forever. And I have a band I played it for, they don't know what to do with it. And so I played them the opening of what became Ollie. And he goes, hold on, record that. And he recorded, he, put, he recorded on his phone and I, I played it again. And he wrote the song that night. Wow. Like, okay. For all, all the music that night. And I That's came back. So I was staying at a hotel out there because I don't like to stay at people's houses. I like to just, like, you know, if I want to watch TV super loud, I can do whatever I want. So he, I remember him texting me, he goes, how many times do you want that part of the song? I said, don't overdo it. Make it special. Like maybe do the opening, do something in the middle and do something at the end. And he, okay. <laughs> like this, this fucking mad scientist that I call my bass player. <laughs> and he I'm like wow you made my dream come true and, and it became the opening song and became the opening single and it's a song i'm super proud of and the, and the cool thing especially now is that well, since we toured a lot more this year europe everywhere else when we play that song that crowd goes ape and i believe it as it's like it's it's one of those songs i mean it's like i mean you release a record and you want the people to love your new record but when we play when we roll the world live it doesn't really go off when we did all hell it doesn't really go off Ollie Ollie, from the first time we played it to now, it goes off. And I'm like, this is what it's all about. People are digging the new stuff. Yeah, the new record's incredible. Yeah, I love it from front to back. It's a lot too. I mean, you guys did a lot of really solid songs. It's not one of those records where you stop listening halfway through. Can you tell me a little bit about working with Cameron Webb? I love Cameron Webb. I think he's a totally underrated producer. The funny thing about him is that I was his first recording 
after he got out of recording school, my band Lightweight, he had just finished recording school and we, he was interning at Time Bomb Studios, Mike Nessa Studio. Oh, wow. So I recorded with him when I was 19 years old. That's crazy. And that yeah. makes sense why he's done a few social records. Yeah. And so, I mean, then watching him, watching how he's grown into this guy who he's done killer stuff with Pennywise, he's done killer stuff with the night, he did Motorhead and all that stuff. And so when we talked with him again about when we were talking to him about doing this record, he goes, I totally bought this out of my mind because I remember you, especially that at that day, because you got dropped off by your mom because you got in a car accident the night before. I'm like, fuck, I totally forgot about that. Dude, <laughs> <good> memory. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Um, so working with him was awesome. I mean, he's the weird thing with him is like we went from black, you know, the, we did the previous two records in the blasting room. Mm-hmm. And so you have Livermore, you have Bill Stevenson there, they're all drummers. So they had a good idea of like what they wanted me to do. And as far as Cameron, he's not a drummer, but he has thoughts in his head. He goes, try doing like, you know, like I'm like on uh have you ever on the pre-course. He goes, try this on the pre-course. To get that, to get that, to get that, to get that, then to get again, done, again. I'm like, okay. And I tried it. I'm like, I never would have thought of that. That just came out of his mind. And so and he's not a drummer. He's not I know a, he's a guitar player. He's a guitar player, bass player. He actually did a lot of bass at the tipping point. Oh, cool. Uh, so the, well, here's, well, here's the funny thing. So when they did tipping point, their bass player, Jeremy, the original bass player was pretty much out the door. So they pretty much recorded that record with Brandon, Sean and Jason. And then Cameron did the bass on Ollie Ollie. It was Mike doing both bass guitar and me doing drums. And so we're talking about doing Cameron again, when we start, rec- we're going to probably record a new record at the end of next year. Right. Anyway, oh my God, we're going to be doing this. We're going to record an album with Cameron as a full band. Oh my God, because Brandon's now officially back in authority. And so it's like, oh, I can't wait to do this as a full band finally. Yay. That's amazing. But he is a badass. I mean, he he's not overbearing. He will tell you what he feels and all stuff. He's not shy about it, but he does it in a, in a delicate way where it gets a point across, but it doesn't also make you feel bad. Okay. That's and what you just, want a producer, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I mean, you have to be harsh sometimes. I mean, Livermore was, he's a mean person when he wants to be to me. Like, <laughs> but I mean, even like other guys, I mean, I'm blanking on the guy's name right now, but the guy who did, oh, Kyle Black, who did uh, the strung out record, the one before the last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a buddy of mine. There. And he mixed the new Wilhelm Scream. Yes. And so he, they were recording the drums over at Ryan Green Studio. And I stopped by there on the way to polar practice. It was right on my way. And I'm watching them. I forgot what song they were doing, but Jordan's recording. And, I remember Kyle going, this, I thought you were an innovator, not an imitator. I was like, oh, <laughs> you're sitting the Jordan Burns right now. Holy crap. And it worked because you hear that record. That's some of Jordan's best work. Yeah. Kyle Black. It's unreal. Best. Real quick side story. The first time my band played in California, we played with Kyle Black's band at Whittier at Skateland. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. His old band, Neural. That was the first band we ever played with in California in 2002. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. So I've known him for 20 years. He's a great yeah. dude. Yeah, I mean, I and I got I got him in a couple of times, had a few conversations with him. He's a he's a total rag rag guy. I love that guy. Yeah. But I mean, I can't as far as Cameron goes, I mean, it's like he he brings out the best in you. And I think that's what the best part was. I mean, I it was the first time I really got to see how he works with Mike and all stuff. And like he would basically just the cool thing he did, because you know, like I said, he worked with Lemmy a lot is that as a celebration, when I finished my drums, I did my drum tracks in two days. He goes, I'm going to make you a Lemmy Jack and Coke. And he made me the lemon, the Lemmy Jack and Coke. I'm like, Oh, cool. Celebration. I got the nod of approval. If you will. Rad from <laughs> so, the Lemmy yeah. nod of approval. I love that. <laughs> oh man. I can only imagine his recording sessions with Lemmy. That was probably insane. He, he, recording told, Motorhead. he told me, he goes, I, every time I recorded with Motorhead after I recorded them, I would have bronchitis for three weeks. Cause Lemmy would record his vocals in the in in the room, and he would just smoke Chain and smoke. smoke. And, yep. If I'd have <laughs> bronchitis for three weeks afterwards, my sounds about right. Wow, like, but, rock and roll, man, that's crazy. Lemmy, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm sure he's got stories for days. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. The first time I became acquainted with Cameron and his work was actually about 20 years ago. We were friends with a band called Over It, and we played a few shows with this yeah. band called Staring Back. And he was doing a bunch of stuff for their record label, played some shows with Park and he recorded them as well. And I just, I've liked his stuff ever since. I always felt like he was a pretty underrated dude, but he does a great job of capturing something, but also pulling something out of bands. You know, I really love what he's done with Alkaline Trio the last yes. couple of times he's worked with them and Pennywise as well. Pennywise mm-hmm. does a great job. They've made a ton of great records with him. 
And then what's the other ba- Bayside too? I really loved the last yeah. Bayside record. Bayside, Ignite, the last he did the last three Ignite records too. So yeah, and the new Ignite, another fantastic record from this year. Yeah, I was so stoked about that one. Honestly, I mean, as a guy who's toured with Ignite over the course of since two thousand four, watching them with Eli now is it makes my heart happy because Zoli, no doubt, the guy's a talented motherfucker, but he was very difficult. And watching, I was I was at their first show at Punk in the Park last year, mm-hmm. and I was watching them. I was excited to see what they were excited. They had already released the anti complicity anthem as a video and all stuff, so I was excited to see it. And I not only did Eli kill it, he sounded amazing, but watching all four of the other guys smiling, not having to worry about where to be on stage. Mm-hmm. That, that's what it went down to. Honestly, that's I mean, I remember like watching Zoli yell at people on stage, yell at his band on stage. Ah, uh, like, come on, man. Yeah, I can do that. But watching Eli just he brought out this new fire in this band. And you know, people were going, Oh, I don't like it. I'm like, listen to it again. And like, and there was a couple people I, I when I talked about the record because it was on my top 10 of the year, going, dude, I'm really glad I listened to it again. I think the river might be my all-time favorite ignite my ignite song now. It's a fucking brilliant song. That's a ripper. I love that yeah. song and that album. Yeah. It makes sense that Cameron did that. I didn't realize that he had done that record, but yeah, another great record from this year. Yeah. Very cool. So you'll work with Cameron again. You think? Yeah. Oh yeah. We're okay. we've already we're already talking to him about sending him ideas. Like I said, what's a good example of what he did? What he did for us because like when we came to record that, that was the first time that Authority had really had lyrics, melody, everything. We had everything done for the record. That was the first time that's really ever happened with Authority because Jason sometimes just procrastinates, <laughs> but he was he was on top of it this time. And the good fight, which is the third track. That song is completely different than how it eventually came out. When we played it for him, he goes, so you know that the opening, only distractions, no interactions. Yeah. That, that was just, that one time that was on the song was the end. And he goes, we were doing pre-production at, out here. And he goes, that song sucks except for the end. Write a song around that end. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. Oh my gosh. So we changed it up and then we did the breakdown part. He goes, you. And he points, he goes, Bring out, bring out your inner Keith Moon. I'm like, that's all you had to say to me right there. And I got to do some really cool fills and all that stuff. So that song, I thought the original was amazing. And I heard it back because I, I, I have the, the demos on my Dropbox. I'm like, wow, that song sucked. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't hear it until now. <laughs> so, yeah. It's crazy, man, how sometimes the producer, you get the benefit of they have their first reaction to whatever it is that you're bringing to them. Yeah. which I think that's a really strong moment when you have somebody that clearly knows a lot about music and has ideas in terms yeah. of like, not just the general sequence of the song, but what a song should be or what it should feel like. But yeah. I think those first reactions are really powerful, especially in the demoing phase. Sometimes I think bands, when they're demoing, it's like you get too close to it and it's hard to separate okay. yourself from it for a little bit. That's why like I almost like to demo things and then get away from it for a few weeks and then come back to it with fresh ears you, yeah, you have to. I mean, I, yeah. that, that's the thing. It's like, you know, when we recorded, we were demoing Fire Off Another, we were demoing it. And that breakdown part is getting cool. That was not part of the song. Uh, oh, okay. it, was, it was actually part of the song, but it was no vocals. I was considered just an uh, instrumental part. And we got away from it. I mean, we were like skeptical of being, will this song really work for us? Because we're like, yeah, I think it's probably one of the slowest songs Authority's ever done. Fire Off Another? Yeah. Yeah, I love that song. I love that song too. And so basically we, we, we kind of took a break from it and uh, Jason got back to it first and says, I have an idea for this part. And so he played it for us. I'm like, Ooh, that's fucking, you know, the hairs on my arm, you know, kind of. Yeah. Was it. it the bridge? Yeah. The bridge. It's cold outside. Yeah, dude. Yeah. That's a killer moment. Initially he was trying to, he was going to tap Chris from the Ataris to sing that part. Oh, cool. But it just didn't work out. And honestly, it's, we'd already have, we already had Shu from uh, Hey Smith do it a year, and we already had Pennywise Jim doing Don't Turn Me Down. So I'm like, okay, we don't need to overdo it. <laughs> so, yeah, and it worked we'll out. On well. Next record, yeah. I mean, I, I, Chris is a, I love Chris so much. He's a fucking sweetheart. I'm so stoked. I, I'm. I think we're gonna be on tour. Unfortunately, when they're playing Song Astoria from, uh, we're gonna be out. I can't. I can't see it. The tour will be announced soon. But okay, cool. <laughs> we're, doing, we're doing a we're doing a co-headlining tour with another band. So oh, that's, very cool. Yeah, that's exciting. So, yeah, so I mean, I mean, yeah, I would love to have Chris be a part of it. I mean, he's like I said, I've I've known the guy for many years, and he's just a great person altogether. Yeah, yeah I love the Ataris too. 
I mean, the funny thing is, I mean, I, you know, so long a story in the, where it was such a huge record, but I mean, God, I, I still think Blue Sky's Broken Hearts is a masterpiece. I mean, Broken Promise Ring is one of my all-time favorite pop punk song, songs of all time. Yeah, just incredible. So, I listen to that record still all the time. Yeah, me too. It's, Blue Skies. I had Mike on the show earlier this year, and it was fun getting to talk to him about that whole time period. I was always curious about the EP, too, with the Fat Records, because I loved that yeah. EP, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, look the, forward to failure. I wish it was yeah. on streaming so I could listen to it more often. It's on YouTube, but... Yeah, but yeah, I don't know why Fat Records hasn't put that out. It's, it makes no sense to me. I, mean, I don't know if it has to do with legal things because San Diego's high school football rules is also on Blue Skies. Maybe that's yeah. just the thing. Yeah, I'm you wondering know. if there's like a kung fu element there. But yeah, we were talking about Fire Off Another. You said he finished the bridge and brought it back yeah. to you guys. Yeah, I'm like, dude, wow. Yeah, fuck doing that as an instrumental. We have to do that part. I mean, now to me, that's my favorite part of the song. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that's like one of my favorite. I mean, I love that song. It's it's such a hard song to pull off live too because there's so many voices on it. A lot of harmonies. I really love a that. A lot of harmonies. And it, we're trying to figure out where we're all like going to sing what harmony and what part of the song because I have to take a breath and we all have to take a breath too. So you sing? You sing yeah. harmonies? Oh, yeah, cool. I sing, sing backgrounds on about half our set. But that's a song where we have all four of us have to sing. And right. so some, it's like we, we get so confused on... <laughs> Who does what part? So sometimes Fire Off Another doesn't sound all that great live because the voice is, except, you know, the chorus usually. But it's, you know, it's tricky sometimes. There's certain things that really have to be there and some things you can let go. We were, I remember like, you know, we were playing Brock and Belgium. We were, we were after we played uh, Wilhelm Scream went on stage and hearing Brian, Trevor and, and Nuno, I'm like, and they're like, it's just perfect. I'm like, you fucking dicks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's unreal, man. That band, super yeah. talented. Super talented. They, I call them RKL, but with pop. I'm almost a pop in it because the harmonies are amazing. But they were just as crazy and just musically just as crazy as RKL, but it had a, they have a pop sense to it. That's a good descriptor for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Fire Off Another, that felt like a single to me. I think that was the second single that you guys released. I love that, that chorus too. It goes to different... Yeah. It goes to places where you wouldn't expect it to go, but it just makes sense after you listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, cool, man. Dude, thanks again for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. It's been... Oh, it's my pleasure, brother. Yeah, it's been illuminating just hearing about you and your story because I knew you had been a part of all these bands before, but it's nice to kind of hear it in a sequential order. Don't forget that I did do my fill-ins. I filled in for Zebrahead in 2008 for 10 shows. I filled in for Strung Out a few times. And, and face-to-face face too, right? I'm one of my all-time favorite bands this year, face-to-face. Face. Was and that this year? Yeah, it was in March. Dang, dude. It's crazy. Sure. Time is a construct. I do remember watching the videos of you playing with them. That was really cool. It was so rad. I mean, and I'll tell you right now, I mean, I've always loved their catalog and, but I mean, complicated became my favorite song. Cause I love play. that song was so much fun to play live just because of the dynamics of it. You know, yeah, and I'm, I believe it. I love the drums on that one. Me too. And I mean, and the funny thing is, I mean, I've heard, I mean, when I, if I hear just connect on the radio, I'm like, yeah, but when we played it and watching that crowd go fucking apes, I mean, it brought back the whole feeling when I first heard that song in 1990 yeah. in 1993 going, dude, yeah, this is why the song was huge. This is why it still gets played on K rock on the daily. You know, it's, yeah. it's an epic song. It's simple, but it's also got, it's got the hooks. Yeah. And it's yeah, just cool. got that big anthem chorus that everybody loves yeah. to sing along with. Yeah. They're just the coolest guys. Scott and Trevor, they're old school metalheads too. We, I, we bonded on the flights because we did, we did the two punk and doubles out here. And then I flew with them out because I was doing, already doing the flag and Molly cruise with authority. And so we just bonded over my childhood heroes, Kiss and Iron Maiden and all stuff. So it's like, okay, you're the same way. Awesome. It was I'll tell you one thing, being a drummer and I'll, I, I have to give, you know, you hear a band and you think, okay, that's kind of, that sounds easy. I'll never, ever let anybody tell face, face fans that that drumming is easy because it kicked my ass. My, the hits, I'm left-handed on a lot of stuff. I do a lot of cool stuff with my left hand. My left hand got to take a break with face to face. My right arm got a workout. <laughs> I'll bet, man. Andy, their drummer, I'm like, I'll never, ever, I said, don't ever, ever let anybody tell you your job is easy because it's not. And also being a battery mate with Scott Shiflett was a fucking challenge. That guy's a fucking badass. Such a ripper, yeah. man. Yeah. Iconic bass playing, but also so incredibly good at guitar too. Every time he, there's a video online of him playing, I have to stop and watch. Do you know, do you, right, real quick before we go, do you know what his, he did a really iconic studio on one of the early Fat Records records. Do you happen to know what it is? I don't. That's him doing the lead guitar solo on Stoke and the Neighbors. Oh, are you serious? That's him. Wow, I didn't know that. That's a <laughs> cool fun fact. 
that's him. I love that's, that solo. Yep, that's him shredding it. That was before he joined face to face. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, he's just so connected to all that history as well, you know. That's the cool yeah. thing about being the scene is that you get to find, you know, you fan out on people, then then all of a sudden you become, you know, friends with them, you become tight with them, and you find out all these things that you had no idea about. It's like, whoa, crazy. Yeah. And you being connected to Fat Records, I just got to ask, you know, one of my favorite bands of all time is No Use. Did you ever spend any time with those guys? We did. My last tour with Up by Stereo, we did. My last tour with Up by Stereo was, we were doing a tour. It was, this is a standoff, which is basically Belvedere, us and Strung Out. And then we were touring mainly Canada. And then somehow we meshed two tours together. It was our tour. And then there was a Fat Records tour going on in 2009. It was Poor Habits. Only Crime and No Use for Name. And for five or six shows from Toronto, from London, Ontario to Quebec City, all six bands played together. Wow. Unreal. And Tony was a total sweetheart. You know, where Matt, Matt Riddle, because I mean, Matt, I eventually joined a band with Matt. Matt was an implant for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, was kind of more of a smart ass, but Tony was just a rad person. He just like, he goes, dude, that, because I mean, I'm playing the plague and that's you know, a really crazy, which I didn't write. Todd Henning wrote that amazing drum part in the beginning of the plague, but you know, it's not easy to play. And so he goes, dude, that riff is awesome. He goes, I need to get a hat from you. I said, I'll go get you a hat right now. And we ended up talking for like about an hour. And, you know, I didn't have much uh, conversations with him after that, but the fact that I had that time with him and to realize that he was that good of a person, which, you know, it really resonated with me throughout the rest of my life. Cause I mean, I could actually say, yeah, I talked to him. I hung out with him. I played shows with him and he was that good of a person as a good of a songwriter and singer and performer as he was, he was that much of a good person on st- off stage. And uh, really cool, man. yeah. So just, I mean, it, I feel that band should have been way bigger. I think soulmate should have been right up there with Dookie. I agree. Especially. I mean, it's to this day, I just, you know, I think my, I might've been the label might've been something like that, but I don't, I, I don't understand. So it was perfect timing too. That album it came really out. was. Yeah, that was punk was huge. Why wasn't that song bigger? You know, that band, I mean, they were, they were, don't get me wrong. They, they were making really good money. I mean, all the way through hard rock bottom and all stuff. But I mean, it, I mean, it's, they didn't get into that, you know, the green day money. <laughs> yeah. The blink territory. Yeah. That was the first song I heard. Probably it was the most ubiquitous of all the fat record songs because even though it didn't really get picked up by radio, it was on all the snowboard and skateboard videos that my friends and I were watching at the time. Is that I remember, I think that was the first time I heard no use for a name. That was, was soulmate from one of those videos. It was like sandwiched in between some snowboarding videos, but yeah. you're right. That song is just a hit through and through. And for the timing could have seen that just as easily being up there with bands like green day sublime and, you know, 311 and that kind of crap. And uh, <laughs> it just would have made sense. And I feel like they could have just been in just as big. I can't say 311 and crap too close because my wife, that's her favorite band. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's funny. There's actually a couple of those early 311 records that I actually oh, yeah. really like. No, I agree. I mean, the one band that I make no mistake that I don't like and people know it is, I mean, I think Nice for Name should have been way bigger than what Blink-182 was. Yeah, that's fair. I, yeah. I, I, I like I, your I, shirt. Blink-182 sucks. I've seen you wear that a couple times. I like I said, I just, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, for people, I mean, I understand why people like it, but the lyrics don't resonate with me. It's too goofy. And I mean, I, it's yeah. like, they're being like no trigger, no trigger is goofy, but they are talking about serious issues and, but they are turning it in a humorous way. So you're not taking it so seriously. That is doing it right. It's good. A, a good play with words. When Blink-22 is just talking about jerking off and playing with your dog or something. It's like, I, I don't get it. And I mean, yeah. As, as far as as far as drumming goes, I think he's overrated. That's just my opinion. But I, there's no denying he's an amazing drummer. But can you play the same thing twice? I don't think so. <laughs> heard that's that's a fair critique, man. That's fair. I and to me, do I get tired of playing some of the songs? Yeah, of course I do. But you know what? When you play the feel like you play on the record and people are there drumming to you, no other feeling beats that feeling. Yeah, um, people sing along to the words because you know I can't understand what Jason says half the time. But, <laughs> But our fans, I mean, Zero Crew fans, they're faithful and they're, I equate them to Motorhead fans. We don't have the biggest fan base, but the fans we do have would kill for us. Yeah. Uh, and so. See that. And for a long that, time too. Yeah. That's the thing is, I mean, I just like everything about Blank, I just, it does, it's never hit my spot. That's totally you know? fair. I think some of the funnest air drumming parts are sometimes the most simple. Absolutely. You know, not, not just Phil Collins, but there's some bands that I like that you can tell it's a very simple fill for mm-hmm. the purposes of it on the record. 
and oh, yeah. they might even do some other stuff live but when i hear that fill it's just satisfying you know i can just imagine what they look like as they're doing it even if it's really simple like i said i was, I was a world's biggest kiss fan i remember going to see kiss on when they reunited with the makeup and scott ian from anthrax is in the front row and the cool thing is there's that drum, it's a simple drum fill at the end of Detroit Rusty. And you're like watching him and his best friend air drum that like that's what it's all about right there. Yep, that's it. For sure, man. I love it, dude. Yeah. Well, cool, dude. This is a lot of fun. Maybe we can no, do uh, a round two sometime, go on a deep dive of some records or something. Please but, do that. Uh, Always. Yeah, dude. Thanks for doing it. And it will definitely let you know when this goes up and everything. Sounds great, brother. It was great talking to you. Yeah, and I'll keep in touch on the social media as well. That's what it's great for, right? Yeah, please do, man. Please keep in touch. Right. And then also, hopefully, if you come to KC or Lawrence, I'll be there. So I'll definitely let you know. Well, it should be being announced in the next two weeks. Right. That's exciting. Okay, very yeah. cool. Yeah, the last time I saw Authority Zero, yeah, I don't know if it was in the eight years that you've been in the band, but it was with Unwritten Law and Strung Out. And it was a while ago. It was probably around seven or eight years ago, but it was at the Riot Room in Kansas City. And something had happened. I can't remember if there was an issue with some of the band's equipment because Jason and the guitar player played an acoustic set before the two bands. Oh, Brandon. Okay. Yeah. Were you in the band then? or I was not. That? Okay. No. Um... Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, thanks again. I appreciate your time today. Thank and you, man. Yeah. All right. Well, you know when this goes up. Sounds good, Kyle. All right. Thanks, Chris. Okay. Take care, man. Bye-bye. I had to cut out a little bit of the end here because Chris mentions who they're going on a co-headlining run with, a big tour, and they have not officially announced it yet, so I don't want to spill the beans prematurely. But if the show is coming anywhere near me, I am absolutely going to go. It's a massive tour. It's going to be really fun to see them play. So check it out. Be on the lookout for Authority Zero's announcement for a new tour coming up. Co-headlining run with another fantastic band. And yeah, hope you all are doing well out there. Take care. Outside, there's a storm rolling in. It's gonna take a while to reprehend what has been. It's getting cold outside. There's a breeze in the air. It's gonna take a while to reprehend what has been. It's getting cold outside. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to help the podcast out, if you want to do a massive solid for us here at Having a Blast, if you could just leave us a review, a five-star review would be incredible. I'd really appreciate it. Wherever you listen to podcasts, another thing you could do would be to share this podcast with a friend, anyone who enjoys this type of music or personal development in general. All right, I hope you're having a wonderful day. Hopefully, you're having a blast listening to your favorite records. Take care, and I'll talk to you later. So close